0: From PRX. Studio 360
1: I am a big fan of illustration. In magazines, newspapers, wherever. And Barry Blit is one of my favorite illustrators. When I was editing Spy magazine 25 years ago, I loved commissioning him to create these witty and charming watercolor and ink pictures. And since then, Barry has become one of the main cover artists for The New Yorker. Even though Barry contributed to Spy, and I was a New Yorker staff writer for a few years in the 90s, we'd never actually met. Since he's just published a beautiful coffee table book retrospective of his greatest hits, We decided that was a good pretext for finally getting together. Barry's from Canada, but he lives and works in a house in a bucolic little town in northwest Connecticut, about a two-hour drive north of New York City. Turning off the highway, my producers and I drove down this winding dirt road through the woods, and at the top of a little hill is the home of Barry Blitt, which also happens to be the former home back in the 1950s, of Arthur Miller.
0: Hello, Barry Blunt.
1: Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Please come in. Thank you. Past the kitchen and living room, Barry walked us to the back of his house. This is a beautiful little studio with a big drawing desk that looks, if I were the production designer for a movie about a uh, an artist or an illustrator, This is how I would prop it. It looks perfect. I mean... One can't help that sort of thing, I guess. And and your your drawing board is a drawing board, and I see paintbrushes and pens and ink and on these shelves, just dozens of of bottles of inks and paints, or mostly inks. Inks and watercolors. Here's an old-fashioned pen with an old-fashioned nib.
0: What do you use? I I prefer old-timey. I use these guys to draw with. These are croakwill pens—they—they
1: they really are old timey. So
0: it's just a—it's a—it's a stick with a right. metal nib. That's the technical name for it. Yes, no. stick with nib. Or you really—and you dip it in ink. Yeah, you dip it in ink.
1: After he finishes with the pen and ink, he usually goes over it in watercolor, and then once that dries, Barry scans it onto his computer and sends it off to the client. But the New Yorker still prefers the old school method physical delivery of the actual paperwork of art, sometimes fetched by a messenger they dispatch from
0: New York City. As the New Yorker has asked for more topical stuff, my deadlines have, sometimes they're only a few hours. So Is I, that right? So I can only knock out two or three versions. But, I mean, for a crazy person like me, if I've got five days for a deadline, or even two days for a deadline, I'll draw it as many times as I can. I've, I have have sent in, like, seven versions of a finished piece. of really? Trying it several different ways, but I'm giving them You know, the same damn thing several times. I could show you some of those. It's
1: If we did an analysis of which one works best, which one gets published, is it usually a later one or not, or the first one, or is there a pattern?
0: it's always the first one.
1: Making your extra work all the more insane.
0: Idiotic, yeah. I mean, sometimes it's the second one, but really what you're looking for is life in the line, you know, so... Sometimes you'll do a drawing and oh, that doesn't look enough like Hillary and you draw it a second time. The second time it looks more like her. But the first time there was some magic or, or discovery in the actual line work and it's a better drawing and that's the one you use.
1: Well, I guess if nothing else, you need to do the other ones to prove to yourself that the first one was the best. Exactly. Huh. People at The New Yorker often suddenly call you up and say, Barry, this news event happened. Do you have any ideas? Is that how it works?
0: Well, I mean, I, I will pitch things without being called, but I think they call a number of artists when something happens and they want it to be featured on the cover or sometimes there's a mass email that goes out to a, a great many artists saying it would be really great to do something about Purim or whatever's going on.
1: Yeah, and you did the, you do those beautiful Purim covers for the New
0: Yorker. Right, New York, don't you? I've done a lot of Purim covers and... Hanukkah covers.
1: Your your stuff is comic, but it's, again, one of the reasons I love it so much is it's often witty. It's dry. Right. Because that's just your comic sensibility?
0: I guess it is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice to get a laugh.
1: Yeah. How specific or descriptive in assignments are they, the New Yorker, when, when they come to you? Or is it just like, oh, Trump did this. Go cre- figure out something funny way to do that. Yeah,
0: it's figure out something funny or figure out some way to 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 depict this in an odd way, if possible. A metaphor would be good. You reminded me when I walked in here today that
1: back when I was uh, editing this magazine called Spy, we hired you. You did work you for did. us. I,
0: I did uh, David Mamet finger puppets. <gasps> yes, for... you
1: did one of my favorite all-time things. That was.
0: I mean, who gets assignments like that? That was fantastic. It was a. There were several David Mamet scripts that were boiled down, I guess. There,
1: were they, no, there was the, 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 the not yet great playwright, David Ive, who did his versions of essentially Mamet plays boiled down to a minute. And then we said, oh, let's create a whole like little cardboard stage and, and finger puppets that so theoretically people could cut those out and enact these. And, and Barry Blitt, right. the I, young
0: Barry Blitt did these. Right. Back when I was alive.
1: Well, let's, let's look at some of this work. Uh, now this, talk about this. Okay,
0: well, obviously this has a spy connection. And the, oh, right. who, who came up with short-fingered Bulgarian? We, it was a joint uh, coinage. I know, it's uh, got to come from somewhere. Uh, uh, where, where did it start? Graydon
1: noticed that his fingers were short while we were starting to do spy, and he profiled it for a magazine and said, you got to see this guy, Donald Trump. His fingers are tiny for a big guy. And then once we were coming up with epithets and we went through like a dozen before we hit
0: on short-fingered Bulgarian, we said, eh, short-fingered Bulgarian?
1: anyway so this is a cover that this was is a sketch that became a cover for the New
0: Yorker right it was around the time when that started to rear its head again I think it was Marco Rubio who right. mentioned it and I, I guess I was trying to think of a way to to not just say he has small hands I, I thought of a, of a palm chart and that's what this is is right it's
1: it's it's, it's old-fashioned speaking of old-timey kind of palmistry readings of the lines on a hand
0: right his hand you know on his lifeline you think he's going to live a long time, very healthy, in the line of intellect, you know, extensive. Continues on back of hand, so <laughs>
1: which made me laugh out loud. And it's in, as I think, listeners will understand, in Donald
0: Trumpian uh, right patois language. or language. Yeah. yeah, it isn't enough, you know, to say he's fat or he orange or orange. Right. It's nice to do something with it. Yeah.
1: No, this was just, it, you know, it, it doesn't it, it doesn't say Donald Trump. Anywhere, it's just it's just a hand with stubby fingers and these and these Trumpian lines explaining his heart line and his
0: and your beautiful singing voice. You'd be (laughs) surprised.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Let's look at the next picture you got here. If I kill you right now, Uh uh, in addition to that story being uh, probably pretty big in the newspapers, your obituary would early on mention this, which is to say, this is
0: maybe the most well-known picture you've ever made. You think I would get an obituary in the Times? Oh, was- I guarantee it. Wow. It's almost worth it. So describe this yeah, uh, picture. This was called The Politics of Fear. Uh-huh. Aha. I was still listening to Rush Limbaugh at the time and I was hearing lots of terrorist fist Bump. Summer of 2008. I mean, there was just so much hatred in the air, it seemed like. And it seemed like a funny I, funny way to just draw it all.
1: And people were saying, oh, Barack Obama is friends with terrorists, meaning Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dohert. Right.
0: And at the same time, there was supposedly some... Secret f- video of Michelle exactly. Obama talking
1: about Whitey. Exactly. All false, all fantasy.
0: Right. And I, I scribbled out something like this, a black and white drawing of it. First, I had Barack Obama as a dressed, like, I guess... Like a terrorist, like a Muslim terrorist, I, uh,
1: and and then he's with and they're in the Oval Office, and then in, here's uh, Michelle.
0: There's Michelle dressed like an Angela Davis type militant, I guess you would say, and there's the American flag. Well,
1: except I don't know that Angela Davis ever wore an AK-47 in bandolier, which
0: Michelle Obama is doing in this picture. Probably not. And there's an American flag in the in the fireplace, In the fireplace burning, and there's a uh, Osama bin Laden's photograph or a painting hanging in the Oval Office. And there was even a Nazi plate that I had that, that's come off. Huh. That, that was there too. I mean, I really wanted to go over the top with this yeah. thing. There the, it is.
1: The idea being, it, it was your version of all this crazy caricature of the yeah. Obama.
0: And that seemed to be enough. That seemed to be enough of a joke. It made me laugh. And, and Francoise was... Francoise mouli being Francoise the art director of The New Yorker. You know, God bless her. Was gung ho. This is a this, this will put the lie to all this stuff, and uh, to my amazement, you know, I got the go ahead. You know, and I could hardly believe it. I, it it didn't seem like it was real that it would actually happen.
1: What was there any concern by David Remnick or any the other editors there? Ooh, th- this might get us some backlash from
0: the left. I'm sure there was some of that. Uh, this particular one. I remember I brought it. It was so late that I brought it in myself. To, uh, my son and I went into New York City, and I brought it to the magazine and Francoise And I walked over to the production department, and the production guy's face when he looked at it—I mean, he turned white—and and, and uh, I, yeah, I, I did. I, I expected some kind of backlash, but not not as much of it as there no, was. No, and
1: the, the thing is, it's an image that could run on a conservative magazine like the National View or the or the uh, Weekly Standard. It would still be a joke, but it would be a joke coming from the right, saying, ah, this is what we think of these people.
0: Context is everything. I mean, Rush Limbaugh had it on his website with himself at an easel. Oh, really? Painting it, yeah. Uh, Talk about the reaction. The reaction was, I mean, it was instant. I I was high, and I was playing music with a friend on a Sunday evening, and the magazine, I think, goes out to to the media on Sunday before it hits the newsstands on Monday. But Sunday evening, I started to get calls and emails about it. Huffington Post was the first, they asked me if I regretted it. And I was, I, I don't know, it hasn't come out yet. Let me see if I regret it. And, and, and then it was just everywhere. My e- email box filled up at a thousand. I think that's the, uh, the maximum you can have in AOL. And it was just, it was, seemed to be all over the world. You're an AOL guy, by the way? I am still an AOL guy. I was paying for it old until timey, a few years blessed. ago. I realized you didn't have to pay for it. Oh, you're cute. You're like thank a you. really <laughs> old person. I am. Thank you. Uh,
1: and, and that kept going. I mean, there was serious, this this became an object of serious conversation in the national discourse, whether yeah. you should have done it, whether the New Yorker should have done it. What does this mean? It's and so I, I assume you have no regret whatsoever.
0: Oh, I have regrets about everything. But not but the this, regrets you're supposed to have like I wish I didn't do. You that. know what? My regrets here, I wish the the fire in the fireplace was more convincingly rendered. I wish it was drawn a little bit better. That's my, those are my regrets. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was an interesting thing to live through. Yes. Uh, do you what do you listen to as you're working? I'm a bad piano player. Wow! And there's a keyboard. It's a great little Nord Electro, which is, weighs 15 pounds. You can put it on your back. Really? If you wanted to,
1: put it's it on handsome your back. as well. So it you
0: is. you play that? I play that, and it's made uh, listening to music while I work difficult because you hear something and you want to play along with it. So and, and and I read, I believe in
1: your book, in this glorious new book of yours, that you listen to Rush Limbaugh as well.
0: It's been a while since I've listened to Rush, but when I first got to the States, it was when he was first on the radio, and I'd never... In the late heard, 80s. Late 80s, and I'd never heard anything like it. I listened to him, and there was Bob Grant I listened to. I was on the Bob Grant show once. Were you?
1: Yeah. He was also... A, he was a right-wing New York radio guy. Crazy. Yeah. That,
0: did, did he... Was he nice to you? Did he...
1: Very. Wow. Told me I looked like Sylvester Stallone, which wasn't true even then, but uh, yeah. So I guess that was nice. Felt,
0: That's really nice. Yeah.
1: Um, well, as before, we leave your studio to talk in a different uh, venue in your home. Uh, play on this uh, Nord Electro Three something suitable.
0: So, I don't. I'm not sure what's suitable. It's got a nice Mellotron sound. Take, Take
1: me down. Me down. You want to sing? No, you sing? no, Would no, you? no! Please not. Let's Trust all that.
0: sing. We got everybody. To- yes, 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 yes. Yeah. What?
1: After our little jam session, we took a walk outside toward the woods.
0: Apparently, Arthur Miller wrote *Death of a Salesman* in this shack back here.
1: I would call it not a shack, I would call it a shed. It's a, a shed, it's a cottage. writing
0: shed. And he, the lore is that he built it himself with his own hands, he was good at this stuff, he was a mensch. And after he put the last nail into the roof, he brewed himself some coffee and wrote the first act of Death of a Salesman. He kicked it open, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. It smells like my mother's salmon cut smells like was. the death of a something in here. Does it? No, no, it's not death.
1: The windows and a very very plain uh, yeah, desk built into the corner.
0: I don't know if this desk was here. I know the electricity wasn't here when Arthur built it. Do you ever? You you never use this except I mean I've except I've, when there are radio crews here and you show them. Oh look, Arthur you know, I come up here sometimes. I, really? Sometimes I think if if I'm stuck for an idea, maybe it'll be you good. sit here and yeah. But nothing comes of it, and yeah. there's no internet up here, so it's it's almost useless.
1: Back inside Barry's house, I I saw that he'd taken out the drawing for one of my all-time favorite New Yorker covers. It's it's uh,
0: Donald Trump. Uh, I guess you did this after he was president? Or? This is a, a crazy one, sort of. I did it after the Iowa caucus, I think, when he lost unexpectedly to Ted Cruz, and it looked like it was over. Right. Any slight right. you know, whiff of loss with him, right. it seemed like it was over. Yes. And the picture is basically it started to rain on him, and he's only catching wind of the fact that it's raining. He's got a little, one of his little paws, like palm upward, you know, feeling a drop on it. And his hair, you know, the architecture of his hair has all come down with the slightest bit of rain. He's like a sheepdog and it's covered his face. So it's similar to the, to the hand chart in a way as I'm, you know, taking a cheap shot at at his, you know, his his physiognomy or whatever, and and well, uh,
1: his his ridiculous hair and architecture being the correct word to describe how that's done each day or each hour, for all I know, I I and so it's just it's suddenly his hair is just as as it would be if it suddenly were drenched I guess. in there water. There probably
0: should be some bald spots here. I think um, I, I was a little generous to him
1: i I loved it i I just love this picture because it's mean, I suppose, but it's not savage it's it's- it's still kind of charming and and it's one of those things your your sensibility your comic sensibility seems to me to be so perfect for the New yorker because it's
0: because it isn't savage right i mean i'm I'm mean to my loved ones well that's s- enough somehow on paper i I don't have the guts to do that, yeah. Well,
1: I could stay in this lovely house with the lovely Connecticut autumn breezes blowing through for the rest of the evening, but you probably would object to that. So before you kick me out, I'll leave. Barry Blitt, this has been a complete delight. You are a have been a hero of mine.
0: It was great to talk to you about your work. Thanks. Gosh, thank you so much. You sure you wouldn't, don't want to record everything again? I think I could nail it the second time okay. around. Barry Blitt's new book,
1: Blit is now available wherever beautiful, charming, old-timey books are sold.